to the Healthy Tips Podcast, produced by the Better Living Institute and sponsored by Half Judo for your software needs, Bullet Pad for writing lists on your iPad, and also sponsored by our listeners. That's folks like you. We're Kira and Bill Van Ittersom. And today we're going to be talking about how an acid-rich diet destroys your health. This is a great topic, Kira, and I know I say this with every podcast. This is a great topic, Kara, but this one really is. It's exciting, and it does form the basis for all of your whole body health. Who would know? Who would think it? <laughs> yes, it is very important, and I think it's something that more and more people are becoming aware of these days. Well, one of the first things about acid-forming foods versus alkaline or alkalizing foods, and there's a lot of misunderstandings in this area, but acid-forming foods add hydrogen ions to the body, making the blood more acidic and other organs and tissues and cells. Alkalizing foods and minerals remove hydrogen ions from the body. Now, we're not going to get into the chemistry today, It's very complex, and it is something that I suggest that our listeners take a look at eventually. YouTube is a great place to go, also Google, and there are a lot of information about the actual chemicalization. We're actually a walking chemical factory, every (laughs) single human. So Right, and you know, there are some really common misunderstandings about acid as opposed to alkalizing foods. And one of the reasons is that foods that actually taste acidic, things like lemons, we think, well, common sense would say that's an acid-forming food. But actually, after the digestion of a food like a lemon, the citrus foods are really very alkalizing to our system. So once they go through that digestive process, the residue that's left behind after the digestion, which is really called The ash is alkaline. Yes, the alkaline ash is mostly minerals, so it is available to combine with other acids in the system, in the body itself, and that's what helps them to be known as alkalizing foods. So we really don't know until after a food is digested whether it's going to be, I mean, at that point, that's when you can make a determination as to whether or not it's going to be acidic or alkalizing to the system. After digestion of an acid-forming food, it leaves a residue that's called acid ash. It's kind of like everything that we eat is constantly balancing out, and, you know, it's how much of one as opposed to another that you're eating that really makes the difference. And that, again, is another misunderstanding about food. People tell you that you should be alkalizing your body or you should have an alkaline system as a total And actually, your blood is slightly alkaline, not very much, but slightly alkaline, which does help keep the body alkaline. But there is a constant, as Kira said, a constant balance that is always going on. Common thought would say, well, then I should not eat acid foods at all. I should only eat alkaline foods. Well, that's not exactly how the human body was designed. We are supposed to eat all kinds of foods, acid foods, as well as alkaline foods. These foods then, as they're broken down, as they go into digestion, do get balanced 
both ways. And it is important to have all kinds of different food. But isn't the problem today is that so much of the food that we're eating, so much of what's prevalent in our culture today is the acid-forming food. Is that correct? Well, and let's take a look, why don't we, at a typical American lunch. (laughs) You're going to love this. So first thing on the lunch is a hamburger, possibly another meat patty. Maybe you have a chicken, uh, broiled chicken, possibly even a fried chicken patty, but primarily a hamburger patty, which is high in fat. And the meat itself with high in protein is a very acidic food right from the start. Then you put the sauce on it. So there might be mayonnaise, ketchup. You might have that special sauce that used to be on that commercial years ago. (laughs) Right. You have possibly egg or dairy mixed up into that sauce. Again, you have high fat. And you also now have sugar that's been added in. Both very acidic. Then you have the bun. Now, that's refined white flour. It's definitely high in bad carbs. It's got a moderate sugar level as well (laughs) because they want you to like the taste of it right away. It's refined starch, refined carbohydrates, all turns into sugar very rapidly in your stomach and in your system. Uh So there again, it's highly acidic. I'll top that off with French fry potatoes. Now, potatoes themselves are acidic, but when you put them in a hot, frying oil, and they absorb that oil, they become very acidic, and your oil is acidic. And then to add insult to that injury, many of the fast food chains put sugar into the frying oil, and that makes your French Mm -hmm. fries more crispy and more golden brown because that sugar kind of burns. So now you're getting quite an acidic load there. Now you top that with lettuce, tomato, and pickle. And by gosh, you finally added some alkaline to that. <laughs> that's loss. probably going to be the only thing that's alkaline in the whole that's it. meal. <laughs> now, what do you wash it down with? Well, you've got a 16 to a 20 and some people 32 ounce, some people 44 ounce. And Coca-Cola is like pH of three, which is somewhere in the range of 10,000 times more acidic than water. So wow. that is one food that you could say starts off acidic, goes in your body acidic, and ends up acidic. And, of course, it's got all that sugar, and the Coke has acids in and of itself. So you're definitely putting a acid load mm-hmm. on your system. A, a toxic acid load. <laughs> yes. Now, if you're not stuffed by that moment, well, then let's go back to the counter and get that Sunday. Hey. Or perhaps, you know, two pies for a dollar. Now, these are fried. They're white flour on the outside. It's now very crispy. Mm -hmm. It's a load of sugar on the inside. Very little fruit, but a lot of sugar. And by gosh, two for a dollar. And who doesn't do that? And then who shares it with anybody at work? You know, because by the time (laughs) you get back, you eat one. You eat it so fast, it's like gone. And then the other one's laying on the car seat next to you. And you go, hmm, what should I do about that one? And by the time you've gone three or four more blocks, you know, you've opened it and you're got an half down. So, (laughs) you know, it's amazing to me that our bodies are as forgiving as they are. I mean, this goes on year after year after year. It takes quite a long time, usually, for disease to start forming in the body. But you can just imagine the stew of crap that we are putting into our systems. Well, every bit of food does have to be balanced out. 
And again, there is a chemical factory going on in there. So the acids become neutralized and they form mineral salts. So they need things like carbon, carbon dioxide, sodium bicarbonate, which is like your baking soda, various different products and minerals, manganese, magnesium. And calcium. Very much calcium. In fact, that actually brings us to one of the first maladies of an over-acid system. Now, this happens after years and years. Kara mentioned, boy, it goes on for years like this. And you eat too much meat and you eat too many refined foods. And, and doesn't this kind of lead people to think that it's okay to do that too? Because, well, they're doing it and they're not experiencing too many problems. And it's not until it all catches up with them several years later and they start feeling really ill that they recognize what they've been doing to themselves. And this may be 20 or 30 years. It may be even longer. Sure. But as your system builds a higher and higher acid content for a longer and longer time, because again, when you eat meat, and this is any kind of meat, beef, chicken, pork, lamb, deer, (laughs) fish, squirrel, any meat, or basically any seafood, it creates acids in your system. The first one is sulfuric acid. Well, by golly, that's the acid that's in your car battery. So quite heavy-duty toxic acid. Phosphoric acid, there's another flesh-dissolving acid. Nitric acid, there's a third. All these very strong acids have to be neutralized. So that means they have to use minerals from the body to do that. But if you're not eating a lot of greens where your minerals come from, if you're not eating root vegetables like turnips or radishes or carrots, beets, and if you're not eating other types of things where these minerals are, well, then your body will start pulling minerals from its own reserve. And that's how it creates the bile and the secretions from the pancreas and all the different types of things, including the liver, that help neutralize those strong acids. So we're really kind of depleting our body when we're not eating the balance that we need. We need to eat some alkaline to balance out all this acidity. Is that what you're saying? And Kara, the calcium, as you just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, is such an important mineral because it combines with all three of these different acids to make salts that are then neutralizing the full acid. And unfortunately, where in the body is the biggest storehouse of calcium that anyone has? Oh, yeah. (laughs) In your bones, of course. And your teeth. So if your kidneys need some calcium or the liver needs some calcium and the acid level is so high that it needs to be neutralized, it goes into the bone and robs a little tiny little bit of calcium. Mm. Well, what does it leave behind when it robs that calcium? Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the one that most of us suffer from as we get older, and that is osteoporosis. Because it leaves a tiny little hole behind. So let's take a look at that word. Kind of a long-sounding word, osteoporosis. Osteo from the Greek meaning bone, and porosis or poro from the Greek meaning porous or holes. So basically, you can say that the bones become riddled with microscopic holes where the calcium was stolen to help neutralize the acid and a hole was left behind. Right. It really robs a lot of the minerals from the body, the uh, potassium, magnesium, chloride, sodium. So many things that we need for other processes in the body are being 
virtually stolen so that we can just keep our system in balance. We're eating such acidic diets these days. And it's so easily corrected, and we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. We need to take a break for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our program is sponsored by App Judo, your complete web and mobile application development service. The Japanese word judo means the gentle way. The martial art of judo got this name because it signifies maximum efficiency and mutual welfare and benefit. App Judo follows these same principles in all its software development projects using the best technologies and computer science principles to serve clients' needs elegantly and intelligently. App Judo prides itself on building attractive and intuitive user interfaces that your customers will easily understand and love to use. Whether you want to design and build a new app or refactor and redesign an existing app, App Judo can help make your project a success. Visit App Judo today at www.appjudo.com. The next area of discomfort, or you might even say disease, because for some people it is a disease, we would say indigestion accompanied by bloating and gas. So why do you get that after your meals? And especially the older you get, you get into 40s and 50s and 60s, and you can almost guarantee that after a lunch, like I just described, you're going to have bloating or you're going to be taking those Tums or you're going to be doing something to cut back on the heartburn, right? Right. So let's take a look at why is this happening. Look at the lunch that we just talked about. It is so highly acidic. Again, the only alkaline things in that whole lunch was the lettuce and the tomato and the pickle. So not very much alkaline. And so now your body has to get all of the alkaline balance from its own reserves. Well, on top of that, you're in a hurry. Who's not in a hurry? So we eat that meal just about as fast as we possibly can. If we don't eat it in the car on the way back to work, we take a quick seat and we stuff that. So it's bad enough that we're eating so much acid, but we're not chewing it now properly because we're just jamming it in the mouth. And we got a lot of bites going down that are pretty much almost, you know, full food bites. They're supposed to be way chewed, masticated, as we would Mm -hmm. say, which means that they're impregnated with saliva, which is the beginning of digestion. So they arrive in the stomach, almost visible as a piece of hamburger or a piece of bun or part of a french fry, Mm -hmm. instead of all chewed up. Then the stomach, which is producing hydrochloric acid to try to dissolve these products, is working extra hard, and it's squeezing and relaxing and squeezing and relaxing and kind of moving that food particles back and forth, back and forth, back and forth as part of digestion. But we don't stop there. So the next thing we do is jam it full. So now (laughs) the stomach can't really move. It's like going, oh. And it can't really do this contraction. Right. And And the the meals that they're serving now are so much larger than what we need. I mean, a Big Mac and an order of fries and, like you said, that huge pop and then dessert or something. That's a lot more food than the body really needs. So the food is supposed to get to the stomach chewed up. And then it's supposed to leave the stomach in a slurry form to go into the small intestines. And then the small intestines is supposed to squeeze and relax and squeeze and relax and kind of slosh that slurry around so that the nutrients get dissolved and get absorbed through the layers of small intestine and go into the bloodstream, which is also next to the small intestine, and then 
meander through the rest of the body. Well, the food, because you stuffed the stomach so much, mm -hmm. is now being forced into the small intestine, so it still looks like real food. You can see bits of meat. Right. You can see bits of French fry. How many times when you have gone to the bathroom for a bowel movement the next day, you actually see pieces of food or you see the meat yeah. in yeah. small round balls, if you will. Not so a pleasant thing to think about. It's but not it's a pleasant sad, thing, but actually it true. tells you that the food wasn't properly digested to start with. So now, instead of moving nice and slippery through the small intestines like it should, it's like having to be shoved or pushed that means the contractions have to be harder right. on the small intestine. There's not a lot of fiber in and that food. it doesn't food. move real fast. It sits there, and it just sits there. And rots. That's what happens, Kira. <laughs> it rots. And, and let's take a look at why. I mean, it's sitting in a nice, dark, moist tunnel, which is basically 98.6 degrees, almost 100 degrees. What? Is it like in your kitchen if you let your house get to 100 degrees in the right, summertime? Right. And then you take a piece of meat and lay it out on the counter and come back in three or four hours. Yeah, kind of disgusting. <laughs> and it will be so, rotting and it will be stinky. So you have all of this bad bacteria and this rotting stuff in your gut. And some of it is fermenting and creating all the gases and maybe alcohol or anything, you know, that happens when microorganisms and parasites get in there and start feeding on that mess. That's right, because everything you eat is not all one thing. The ketchup is vegetable, and it could almost be considered a fruit-like product. If you eat a fruit pie, you are definitely going to get a fruit part into your meal. And so that fruit is going to do just what the grapes do when they are put into a vat and, and are allowed to deteriorate with the air and with the temperature. They do ferment, as Kira said. They ferment. Right. And that all along with all the sugars that you've consumed in that meal as well. So that fermentation process creates two byproducts. It creates alcohol, again, just like grapes make wine, and it creates carbon dioxide gas. So in winemaking, the gas boils off and we don't care about it because it goes into the atmosphere. But in this case, the fermentation, the alcohol is being absorbed in your system and the carbon dioxide gas is bloating your small intestines. And unfortunately, it can't go backwards. If gas is in your stomach because you ate so fast, you swallowed gas, you can burp that out. But if gas is being formed as carbon dioxide gas in your small intestine, it can only go one way, and that's the downstream way. Right. <laughs> and so it creates a lot of distress and discomfort that you didn't have to have to begin with if you didn't eat all that really bad food. And flatulence all afternoon, mm -hmm. perhaps, which is not only embarrassing, but, you know, it's somewhat debilitating. Now, the other thing is that your body is attempting to try and regulate this acidity that's going into your bloodstream. It's very toxic for your body. So you do have a defense mechanism there, and part of that is the bile from your gallbladder. But the problem is that you're overworking all these systems, and you're overworking them to the extent that you're actually damaging them over time. So as the blood is trying so desperately to neutralize these acids that are getting into it, the kidneys are now having to work hard, and the gallbladder is having to work hard, 
And so the acid load begins to build up. And as the acid is neutralized, again, the salts are left behind. If the kidneys are not overworked, the salts can be flushed right out into the bladder, from the bladder out as expressed urine. But if it has to work so hard, sometimes those salts begin to, as what we would say, precipitate out, which means drop out of solution. So it's kind of like mixing uh, sugar in a glass or mixing salt in a glass and then leaving it set for quite a while. Crystals will form at the bottom of that glass. So or, this is this is how we get these things we call kidney stones and the gallbladder stones and those kind of things that are left as residue in the body. And these are hard, sharp little crystals, very, very sharp, and they hurt like the dickens going mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And the kidney stones are basically just formed minerals, mineral salts, I should say, that are precipitating out of the blood and out of the fluid that the kidney is filtering. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. (laughs) Now, as you go deeper into the body, like into the muscle tissues, the joints, you also have problems with acids that are in the system, and the body is also working overtime to neutralize those acids. Well, it's also making mineral salts while it's neutralizing those acids. Unfortunately, as the blood goes through the joints, especially the joints, it kind of slows down. It's kind of like a stream that meanders. And every time you have a meander, the stream is forced to slow down. And then things that were in that water tend to fall out, drop out. Little dirt particles, you know, they drop out there. So the mineral salt crystals drop out around the joints, because again, that's where the blood travels slowest. So as they get left behind, they become like little sharp shards, almost like little wooden splinters, but they're little sharp pieces of crystal, kind of like broken glass in a way. And there they are in your joints. So what do you think it's like when you throw sand into gears, where one bone has to work against the other? Man, throw all these little sharp crystals in there and see what happens. And so that's when you get arthritis. Yeah, (laughs) I know all about that one. And it's not fun. It really isn't. Alkalinity is really important in our system. And it is very important to try to cut back on your body's acidity. So some of these meals are meals that, you know, you may want to begin to walk away from. Other major diseases that are directly related to that type of a high sugar, high refined carbohydrate, high saturated fat diet or heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, and ulcers. Now, these are not all related immediately to acid alkaline imbalance, but they definitely are related to all the things that I said, the sugar, the fat, the high refined carbohydrates. Well, and also robbing the body of all of the natural minerals that it would normally have to function properly. If it doesn't have those minerals because it's using those minerals to combat the acidity in your system, then they're not going to be there when they're needed by these other organs, like even your brain, for example. Now, the last disease that we'll talk about before we get into the remedy is the big C. Yep, cancer. 
And cancer is known by many, many practitioners as the acid disease. Cancer basically grows exponentially in a highly acid system. As a matter of fact, some of the areas that are predominantly alkaline, like, for instance, the small intestine, that's where the bile is dumped, and that's where the secretions from the pancreas are dumped. And you almost never, ever hear of someone having cancer of the small intestine. Of the colon, yes, and many other areas of the body, but almost never have you heard cancer of the small intestine. So again, it's partly because this is a highly alkaline area in the body. But with the acid buildup in the individual cells, it's weakening them, and many of them die or they begin to start malfunctioning and degenerating, and that's when you start having the production of these deformed cells. And then they continue to reproduce over and over until they really do create a serious problem. And this is what cancer is. It's just a proliferation of deformed cells. And these deformed cells really cannot thrive in an alkaline environment. They can only function in that heavy acidic environment. Without the acid, there is no cancer. We're going to take a break here for a moment to thank a sponsor. This segment of our podcast is sponsored by BulletPad, the fun and intuitive app for writing outlines and organizing your thoughts on your iPad. With BulletPad, you can quickly create a hierarchical list of bullet points, giving structure to your great ideas. BulletPad is a great tool for writers and thinkers, featuring a simple but powerful toolbar above the keyboard to help you navigate your text with arrow keys and to change the indent of your bullet points. Use drag and drop to move your bullet points anywhere in the list. Use the zoom in feature to drill down on any section of your list or use zoom out to get the big picture view. BulletPad is available now for free. Just go to the App Store on your iPad and search for bullet pad. So let's take a look at the remedy to an acid-rich diet. First, eat more fruits and vegetables. Sounds pretty easy. Mm -hmm. But let's take a look at what those are. The dark leafy greens like kale, leaf lettuce, cabbage, not so much head lettuce. (laughs) The stalk vegetables like celery, the root vegetables like carrots and beets. Why are these good and why are these alkaline? Well, they absorb the minerals from the earth and they process those minerals and they take them up through their roots into their leaves and into their tissues, even into the roots as a root vegetable. And when we eat them, this is the most easily absorbed way for us to get minerals. You could take mineral supplements. You could take ground up limestone for calcium. You can take ground up seashells. I know one company sells an exotic calcium supplement with ground up seashells, but it's still ground up rocks, which is what the plants are supposed to eat, not us. And we're supposed to eat the plants, which is assimilated in the very, very best form that the humans can manage it. So how do we eat them? We can eat them by munching them in salads or taking them as snacks. One of the ways that we find to be really fun and quick is to just throw a combination of them that we find pleasing into our blender and throw in some green tea and maybe a little bit of fruit juice and then just emulsify them (laughs) 
and liquefy them and drink them. That's the easiest way to consume them every day. And this is interesting because we used to do a lot of juicing. Oh, about three years ago, we got a nice juicer. In fact, we had a juicer and then we decided we'll buy another one because it was more efficient and really did a nice job. But the biggest part that disturbed me of all of it was I was throwing away a third of what I bought at the store. All of this pulp was being tossed right in the garbage And I thought, well, why shouldn't I eat that? If I was eating the whole carrot, I would be eating that. If I was eating the whole celery stock, I would be eating that. So we tried the old blender, and it makes a slurry, but it goes down quite good. And now I have all the natural roughage. I don't have to eat extra like Metamucil or psyllium husk or other types of fiber that's just basically inert. I get all the fiber I want right from that drink. And Carol will explain how we do it because it really does taste quite good. Well, I like this way of eating the vegetables because some of the vegetables on their own are not my favorites. And yet I know that they're very healthy for me. And that's things like kale and things like beets. These are not my favorite foods, but in a smoothie, I can make them taste really wonderful. In fact, I've found that by putting kale into a blender with a beet, some carrots maybe. I might even add some fruit for a little bit of sweetness, maybe a little bit of frozen banana, some blueberries, maybe some cucumber. Cucumber is rich in a lot of vitamins and things for you. And I'll put that in there. Then I might throw in some green tea. And sometimes I put a little cider to fill that out. I might put a portion of an apple And then I blend it all up, and it's very pleasing. And also, at times, I will throw in a handful of almonds, and that gives me some protein along with the drink, so it makes a very nice meal replacement. And it's delicious. It goes down in a pleasing way. It feels very nourishing. My body loves it. So it's a wonderful way to do vegetables if you don't have the time to process them in any other way. And believe it or not, the almonds and sometimes even a little bit of walnuts do chop right up and become small particles of nuts. You can still taste that you've got small particles in your mouth that give you something a little bit to chew on, but it does add an extra little flavor and an extra little texture to the drink. And it is really quite good. It is quite thick. It's definitely a slurry. It's not a juice at all. But when you get done with a, I would say probably a, 12-ounce glass of that, 14-ounce glass, you feel like you've had a decent meal. In fact, we try to use it as a lunch meal replacement while we're working here on our podcasts and other things throughout the day. Sometimes, if we happen to have uh, lunch out because we were out picking up the grandkids or something, then we would have this as a late afternoon snack. But it's such a great, great thing. And as Kira said, our bodies do love it. It's a nice pick-me-up. You get a lot of energy from this type of a drink. And lots of fiber. So it kind of regulates your constipation, alleviates that, actually. Not more than regulates it, alleviates it. And you have just such a natural flow to your body. With a little bit of exercise, you feel like a new person. Works for us. We've been doing it now for some time, and I really do think it's an easy way to take in vegetables. And it's nowhere near as much work as juicing either. I find that juicing, there's a lot of cleanup. And, you know, I just throw my blender in the sink and put some water and soap in it, and it's it's all done. 
it's really quite easier than what we used to do before. And because it's easier, we do it more often. That's the other thing that we're finding. Yes, easy is doable. <laughs> now, that lunch we talked about a little bit earlier, and as I started this section on remedies, I said, well, you might want to try to move away from that. This is a gradual process. We are so cultured by the Western world that as we become more fluent, we eat more meat. That's just what we do. The more fluent we get, the more meat we eat and the better cuts of meat that we eat. So we move from kind of a sparsely fat meat to a heavily marbled fat meat. And all these steps make it harder and harder, make it more and more acidic for the body. So as you're starting to look at what you're doing protein-wise, you know, hey, uh, an average healthy human person, adult, needs like 40 to 60 grams of protein a day. If you're a physical trainer or you're doing a bodybuilding regimen, then you might require 80 to 100 grams of protein a day. Well, let's take a look at that hamburger. There's 454 grams to the pound. So a quarter pounder starts off before cooking at 112 grams. Well, 112 grams is more than an average person needs in a whole day, and you're getting it at one meal. Now, couple that with, well, hey, you had sausage or bacon for breakfast, you had your eggs, more protein, you have a protein meal at dinner, perhaps chicken, perhaps fish, maybe beef or lamb, and my goodness, you know, you're having a pound, 400 grams or more, maybe 600 grams of meat protein a day. So your protein load is way high. Yeah, like 10 to 15 times what you need. Now, you're not going to cut that down at once. You're just not going to do it unless you start off as a vegetarian, and that's already part of your lifestyle. But if you're in a standard Western-style diet and lifestyle, cutting back on protein is going to be a difficult choice. First of all, it tastes really good, and it smells really good. So... These are going to be barriers to you making a lot of progress in this area. But the first thing that you could do is start cutting back on the high, high, high calorie, fast food, high oil, high fat diets, and move to something a little simpler at lunch. And that doesn't mean walk across the street to Pizza Hut and have that piece of slice of pizza. Right. So really, in order to make your system less acidic, if you're not cutting down on all of those proteins, you're going to have to start taking in something that assists your body. And we have a few ideas here. The best one, of course, is what we said is to assimilate a lot of fruits and vegetables. So if you eat those things, that's going to right away begin alkalinizing your system. A couple other things that you might do is you can introduce things like apple cider vinegar, which is a very good supplement and it alkalizes your body. A lot of people may think that's not especially palatable. You can mix it in water. Just take uh, about eight ounces of water and put a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar in. Mix it around. And if you want, add a little bit of honey or another sweetener like stevia or something like that. And then drink that before you have your normal meal. And it really does help to balance out the acids that you're putting into your body. And you we can, just finished a podcast on it, our previous podcast from this one. 
was all about apple cider vinegar. So take a listen to that. <laughs> right. It can be used for a lot of different reasons. But this is one of the most important is to alkalinize your system. And another upcoming podcast that we're going to be doing is on blackstrap molasses, which is also another great source of the important minerals that you can put into your body. And of course, those minerals do help to do the same thing. They make the body more alkaline. And vitamin C, and of course, we've done three or four podcasts on vitamin C. As you add vitamin C to your body, and I am talking about supplementation here, because you will not get enough vitamin C through fruits and vegetables, and especially even with citrus. There's just not enough. You'd have to consume a bucket load to get natural volumes of vitamin C in your system. But vitamin C also helps to alkalize your body. It's very important for that. Yes, it is. So those are our tips for how to actually go about making things better for yourself. You could start cutting back on a lot of those foods that are so heavy in the acids. It's very important that we only eat a balanced amount of them. If you don't do that, you're really overtaxing your system. So that's pretty much all the proteins, all the meats, all the dairy, all the sugars, and those bad oils that are, you know, refined and hydrogenized. So just keep in mind as you're eating, you don't have to give those things up completely. But just eat them in a more balanced fashion. And try to supplement some of your meals. As we said, we do that shake for our lunch. It may not be easy for you to do this for your lunch if you're out working and you've not got access to a blender. But if you do have access to a blender, even at work, pack these ingredients and put them in a little cooler and then use the blender at work and try this out for a little bit. Your body will thank you. It sure will. Well, Bill, I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. Before we leave, we do want the audience to know that we're not healthcare providers. Nothing that we say here should be misconstrued as medical advice. It's really not meant to treat, diagnose, or prescribe anything. Everything that we share here is our own opinions, and it's based on our own personal research and our own experimentation. That's our show for today. Bill and I want to thank you for being with us. You can subscribe to our show by going to the iTunes podcast and just look for the Better Living Institute Healthy Tips podcast. And you can also find us on the web at www.betterlivinginstitute.com. There you'll find all of our podcasts and our articles and products. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, we hope that you'll share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for being with us and please join us again next week. For the Better Living Institute, this is Kira and Bill Van Ittersom. So long for now, everyone. 